This is Shams Sharania with the Athletic and Stadium, and you're watching EC Sports. Yeah, yo, check it. Turn me up a little bit on the mic. Hello, everyone. This is Dion Williams. I don't know. I had no fucking radio voice, but uh, we are coming to you finally with an interview that we are supposed to do about, uh, I don't know, in the last 10 to 15 years. But we finally made it happen. I am here with Jimmy Williams, the professional overseas basketball player with a ton of accolades that I would throw out. He was the Tunisian player of the year, all Iraqi player of the year, 2019 zone seven all time. I mean, the best score, correct? Yes, sir. Just to say a few, list of accolades uh, is um, nonstop, but you know, I've taught you everything you know. For those who don't know, we are related, blood yeah. cousins, our mothers, sisters. First cousins. First cousins. Our moms are sisters, so you might hear some personal stuff coming out. Now you know we're uh, cousins. So we finally got this interview. I just want to do one. I've been wanting to do this because a lot of people aren't familiar with how it is playing overseas. Everybody is so um, just intent on believing that playing overseas, oh, he's playing in London or Russia. You know, there's just an abundance of professional basketball outside of the United States that people aren't aware of. So we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about your lifestyle, your, uh, your upbringing, how you got to the point that you are today, and what you uh, want to do in the future. Let's uh, let's talk about your upbringing. Where'd you grow up? Tell everybody about that. Well, I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. But when I was in second grade, we moved, we moved to Carpentersville, Illinois. Okay. Uh, I stayed in a complex called Foxview, and I stayed there from my second grade year to my eighth grade year. Then we converted to Chicago. Then we moved to Chicago. Okay. So when you got over to high school, obviously, um, as I talked to your mother, who's like a – she's like a – not really an aunt, more of a sister. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to help her. You we were coming up because I wanted you to go. I don't know if it was like East or somewhere out here, but uh, um, lo and behold, she picked Hales Franciscan. Uh, you went there. Hales Franciscan is a very sought after school. Are they still open? Uh, actually, right now they're closed. They are. They are shutting down. Because a lot of the Catholic schools is, is hard, bro, when you're just doing Because Hales, when you went, was it all boys when you went? Yeah, and you know, they're not funded by the government, so they got to get their money all type of different ways. But it's a great school and a great program. Yeah, I, mean, I went to Gordon Tech, and they had to sell their naming rights to DePaul and go co-ed to stay open. So I know how that is. But um, let's talk about how it was at Hales Fresh in your first freshman and uh, sophomore year. How did that go? Well, it was the whole thing of the transition moving from suburban basketball to Chicago basketball. So, so it's a whole whole nother level. Uh, it was more physical. I had to adjust to the environment and stuff like that. So I would say my freshman year, I struggled. You know, I came in. I was on a freshman B team. And the good thing about being your cousin, I know why you were on the B team because you had an F in math. Yeah, yeah. Let's be real. Yeah, <laughs> let's be real. Don't don't bullshit nobody. Um, fuck yeah. it in school. But you got that together in a uh, sophomore year. You got a little better, but. Let's talk about sophomore year because some things happened. But let it take us through the sophomore year, how you progressed, and what happened at the end. 
there, I started, you know, I was a starter. I played for a great coach, may he rest in peace, Coach Daryl Sanders. Yeah, so I was there my whole sophomore year. And before then, I'm going to reverse back a little bit. My freshman coach, Coach Lacewell, I grew very close to him. And one of my best friends, Ike Isaiah Thompson, he transferred, they both transferred to North Lawndale. So when they one more year or freshman year? They, they left the end of my freshman year. Oh, really? Yeah. So when I seen them, when I when they left, I kind of wanted to leave too. But my mom told me to stay at hell, stick it out. You know, Coach Sanders really liked me. You know, I was starting, so I was like, why not stay there? So you started sophomore year, Hales was doing well, but then they had little Mike Robinson come. And you had already had this thought process of uh, Lake Swell and your, your best friend left. So what made you look into North Lawndale? Because they left and you just wanted to see how it was? Well, actually, uh, Mike Robinson was – yeah, he came in as a freshman. He was a starting point guard, and I was starting at the two. Okay. So, yeah, Mike uh, Mike was a great addition. He's a, he turned out to be a great player also. He won the state championship there. He went to East Illinois. That's my boy. So shout out to Mike Robinson. My thing was, Hills wasn't, it wasn't a bad situation. It's just that I, I was so close with Lacewell that I wanted to go do something different. In my sophomore year, we had a chance to play North Lawndale. And they actually beat us. And Lacewell was coaching a sophomore team. And they had Ike. And they had another guard there, uh, Jason Panky. That's my boy, too. He, he a police officer now. So shout out to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't have a third guard. And I knew if I transferred there, I'll be the third guard. You knew that? I knew that. Regardless of who was there? Regardless of who was there. And when I wanted to transfer there, Lacewell, he was like, yeah, you're going to be a backup to Ike. Because I don't know why they thought I was a point guard. But. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're clearly a shooter. But what happened junior year? Did you, did you get the starting spot that you knew you were getting? Yeah, so the thing is – Ike and the, uh, the other guard, Jason, they were playing varsity at sophomore. That's one thing about Coach Stork. Coach Stork is, may he rest in peace, he passed away too. Coach mm-hmm. Stork was the head coach in North Lawndale, and he gave players confidence. Soon as Ike got there, he moved them up to varsity. Ike started on varsity as a sophomore and still played some sophomore. So him and Jason Pankey was on a college retreat for the summer. Mm-hmm. So I stayed with Coach Stork, and I played with him in all the tournaments. And me and Coach Stork became like this. So after a while, Coach Stork said, Miss, this dude might start. Mm-hmm. So Jason Panky and Isaiah came back from the retreat, and no offense to them, but I was killing. <laughs> and I, that ain't why I finished. He's like, you know what? He said, Jimmy, you're the third guard. You have a starting spot. So to, I, I earned my spot. Yeah. Um, I ended up being the leading scorer there. We had a uh, point guard, Willie Mills. He came in. So we had a great four-guard rotation. Remember the small guard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we had him, Jason, Ike, me. So we had we had a good four-guard rotation. Obviously, after leaving North Lawndale, you, uh, we didn't mention this, but you were the all-time leading scorer in two years. But um, so you did your thing in high school. You know, it was, it was a different type of trip. And um, I wanted to know, like, did you feel like you missed something by not going to one high school, playing all four years, and then going, like, D1? Do you feel like you missed something? Not even D1, just a a four-year university. The thing was this. I was in a good situation, but North Lawndale wasn't 
in the we was like an independent conference. So we yeah, we wasn't in the Red West yet. So if I if I had if we they're in the Red West now, if I played in the Red West then, it would have been a whole nother story. So I earned my I was an all state there and I was ranked top forty in uh in Illinois on first uh, high school elite uh to a class of two thousand four. But I earned my stripes because those guys came out and seen me play like in Thanksgiving tournaments when we played big schools and stuff like that. And I played well, you know. Mm-hmm. I was consistent throughout the whole year, you know. So we sweep through the conference, but our tough our, uh outside the conference games, it was not non-conference games. We played good schools and, and I did my thing. Another question I had is a lot of people feel like um, AAU is necessary to be elite or to be noticed or to go pro. Is that correct? Did you play AAU? Would you ref- would you say that you have to play AAU to be in a position to play overseas professionally or any other profession? Especially nowadays, I would say no. And I think AAU is, is hurting a lot of players. That's why you got guys like, you know, Derrick Rose and all these other guys. I, I don't see people play four games in a day in AAU. So it puts a lot of miles on your body. But I think if you got the skill set and you're a good player, the scouts will find you. It's about putting the work in. This is on any level, you know. So if I had a son, for sure, I'll just keep him with me and I'll train him. And I'll make sure he's elite and, you know, if you're elite, they're going to find you. So when you say the term elite, me and you always talk with my son, and we try to instill in him and make him understand, talking about Dylan, what it means to be elite. Explain that term and what it means and how important it is, especially in high school and, and moving forward. Well, you know, in high school, you got a, you know, you got a younger mindset because if you're good, you're going to dominate in and you feel like you don't have to work hard. You don't really see your weakness until you get to that higher level or until you get to college. So that's why I was speaking to Dylan and I speak to other kids. Or Dylan's my cousin, like you stated. And I speak to other kids on how important it is to work hard now. I think more so parents have to eliminate video games and stuff like that. They, they shouldn't let the kids stay up all day and play the video game. No, you got to go outside. You got to do something physical, man. You got to be a part of something. You got to go out and work on your body. I be telling Dylan all the time, bro, if I had what you had when I was your age, I would be in the fucking NFL, bro. Yeah, he don't – I didn't have that. And he don't have – and he has it. He's lucky. You know what I'm saying? Like, I told him, like, I'll be in the NFL. You wouldn't be here uh-huh. if I had what you had. So you have to take advantage. You got it right here. That's real talk. You got a family member that's hooping overseas. He should be picking your brain on the basketball side. So I, you got to instill in these kids how important it is, bro. Like, but see, a lot of people don't understand. You, you got to study. You got to study basketball. Whatever craft you have to study it, you can learn different angles and different ways to play. Like with me, it's certain things that I lack, but I know I can go out there and get 25 to 30 points or 20 to 30 points. You can't do that. Yeah, because I, I know, you know, I, I just know my angles. I know places on the court that I can score. I know my hot spots and things like that. I know at this spot, I'm automatic. So I try to go, I try to just stick with that. You know, I, I'm a simple guy. I don't, I'm not a flashy type of player. I just, you know, I go out there, do my thing, get my numbers and try to help my team win. When you were growing up, I had, I was luckily, I mean, I was blessed in the suburbs to have a, a full court gym in my apartment complex. 
I would run this dude up and down the court, and I would tell him, didn't I tell you, stop at the free throw line. Yeah. Up mid-range. Nobody shoot mid-range. This motherfucker mid-range is automatic in high school, is automatic in college. It's like he say, Kobe says it, Jordan says it, you got to have a spot where you know, you know what? I know if I get to this spot, it's buckets. It's buckets. You know, like, like people watch Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard's not super skilled, but he know how to pick his fucking spots. Flashy, no. That motherfucker has mid-range game, and he finds a spot, and he know, get me to this spot, you're done. You cooked. You barbecue chicken. And that's how you go. I always play the game. You know, me, I don't play the game for fame. I don't give a fuck about what anybody thinks. Like, no, anybody that knows me wouldn't even thought that I would get this far. Mm-hmm. So, they can say whatever they want to say about me, but, hey, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I'm, I'm just here, and I'm not here to promote myself. I told you, fuck, soft, at the end of sophomore year, you're going pro. Yeah. I said it. I was like, if you keep doing what we're doing, you're going to go pro, whether it's overseas, D-League, G-League, well, D-League at the time, your skill set is, is, is what's necessary. And, and the thing is this, like a lot of, that's just how we are in our family. I mean, like with you, you're a commentator at the Bulls games, but you don't give a, like, you, you, you don't give a fuck about being famous or nobody knowing. You just, you just go out there because you love it. You love doing it. Yeah. I don't brag about it. It's what I do. Like, my it's, it's a job. It's something that I do to uh, for my show. But at the end of the day, this is what we love and this is what we do. So uh, let's get back to you. Now, you went through high school and then the say you had the same situation. I think you went to three different colleges, right? Yeah. So I started out at Juco and independent cast. I'm going to be quick. Because uh, I know we don't have that much time. Uh, Coach Good recruited me there out of high school. He was a good friend of Coach Stewart. His name was Coach Good. So I went to Independence College my first year. You know, it was a, in the Jayhawk Conference. You know, I was a freshman still learning the system and everything. Uh, I wanted for to those, see- For those that don't know, Independence is if you watch Last Chance U, that's the, the uh, school on the Netflix series. But go ahead. Yeah, like my first year at Independence, it was a, it was a struggle because you know mentally coming from Chicago to Kansas and stuff like that. But uh, after the season there, we still had open runs and I was playing well. I was killing. And the the coach, Coach Lilly, he was he was the head coach at the time. He wanted me to stay there, but I ended up wanting to go with Coach Good in uh, John A. Logan College in Carbondale. So I went to John A. Logan for a year. I was all region first team in all conference. First team, and, and and the crazy part about it, I was all region and all conference off the bench. Damn, off the <laughs> that's great first team. So after that, I was supposed to go to Long Beach State. I had high interest in Long Beach State. I was going to sign there, but the coaching staff got fired uh, the year I was going. So the assistant coach from there ended up going to Otterson Brothers College, and he, I mean, whoa, he had a connection there. And he connected me with uh, with the coach there who recruited me, mm-hmm. yeah, Coach Washington, Coach Daryl Washington. He the one he the one that uh that seen high interest in me, and he recruited me and introduced me to the head coach Zimmerman. They flew me in, and they didn't even really let me play. They signed me on the spot. And that was in West Virginia. Yeah, that was in West Virginia. Yeah, country as fuck. Yeah, very very country. But it, it was cool. That was a good experience, you know. Mm-hmm. 
got me into hunting and you know eating deer and shit like that. <laughs> That's crazy. So obviously, uh, you had a, a it was everywhere, but you had a another great career in college. So what was your mindset? I'm done with my college eligibility. I did my thing. I was all conference this and I did that. What was your mindset? I was always a humble guy. You know, I was always a person. I want to get the money however I can get it. I don't give a fuck about that. If the money come NBA, it come NBA. If it come another way, it come another way. So I ended up, my first thought process was Europe. But that wasn't my path. I ended up uh, getting a call from an agent. His name was Julian, you know. And uh, I was actually working with an agency, too, in Jordan, in the Middle East. Uh, uh, shout out to Gray from the Jar. He's a good guy from the, in the Middle East. He got me some jobs in the Middle East uh, when I first started. He's a good guy. Um, and after that, a guy named Julian contacted me. He's an agent from Ivory Coast. And he ended up connecting me to uh, the national team of Togo. He first contacted me, asked me for my for my uh, birth certificate. I was like, is this guy trying to scam me? What is he? And my social security number, I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'm young. I was like, fuck it. I send it to him. The next week I was in Lume, Togo, and I had an African, I was getting my African passport, getting my citizenship, you know. I already have roots. I already have family members from Togo. So he knew that. So that's how, how that's how they all connected us. So, you know, I might have family from there also. So that's how they all connected. So walk us through, like, your thought process of the normal. Most kids coming from Inglewood, everybody believes. You had talked about this earlier. All right, I got to go to the league. Got to get to the NBA, however possible. Why or when did you say, you know what? Fuck the NBA. I'm, I'm getting this money over here. I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to stay in Africa, and I'm going to build my name here. I'm just going to fucking do it. Me and my agent, we got a plan, and we, and we still do. I'm going to stay here and build my name, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, uh, you know I work hard. If I got a goal, and I'm saying I'm going to do that shit, I'm going to do it. And people may, think I'm, people may think I'm crazy or think I may just be talking, but, hey, they think they want to think. I'm going to get it done. Walk us through, like, a day in the life of an overseas player. Just the thing. A lot of, a lot of people think uh, basketball overseas is more mental. And it's, uh, it's more pressure than anything. And then, you, you know, the, you're living different. You're eating different, different type of mentalities. Uh, you know, you, you're dealing with uh, different floors, different rims. Everything is different. So you got to adjust, you know. You may be on a team where the team is mediocre and the local players are decent, but they're paying you a lot of money, and you have to get it done. Yeah, that pressure. The pressure. If not, they're going to send your ass home. Yeah. So a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand. Like, oh man, I kill that fucking league. That league it look easy. Yeah, it looks easy on video, but if you got if you if you cross three, four people over, then you diss to somebody and miss a fucking layup. I mean, that's tough. It's a lot of pressure. You get you getting double teamed. You getting boxing one, so it's different, you know. And when you're out overseas, they don't know who the fuck you are, so they gonna try to get you. Cause you coming over there, you making more money. They like fuck this dude. Who the hell is he to come over here and take one of our guys' spots? And that's what the thought process is. 
But like on a personal side, you from Chicago, you're not from Togo or wherever. Um, tell us, you wake up, what are you doing for that day? And you yeah. been to Morocco, right? Give us a day in the life of Morocco. I ain't gonna lie to you. The day in life of Morocco, me, for me, it's different because I, I've been traveling so much. I get up and I feel like I'm in America. I get up, go have me coffee. I go to the gym, weights. I, if I'm hungry at night, I'll leave out the house at one o'clock in the morning. So you chill with the locals? Oh, do I? Whoever's watching this know me. Any local players in any country, they say, Jimmy, you're a different type of American. Is there a stereotypical American overseas player where they like to keep to themselves? Yeah, for sure. I play with a lot of players that like to stay in their room, but I tell them, man, get, and you know, sometimes that can get you sent home. Some some people don't like that. You can't really, you, you can't go to country. You have to connect with your team. That's one advice I can give to young overseas players. Go out and connect with your team. They're, the local players are good players, too. And you got a lot of, like, on your Instagram, you got a lot of those locals that still be talking to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of them are good players. The local players can play. So they're already on edge when you coming over there. So mm-hmm. you got to talk to them. They, got, you have, they have to feel comfortable. You both got you guys have to come together. Because yeah. if you don't, it's not gonna. It's it's not gonna turn out right. Well, obviously, uh, playing overseas has its ups and downs. One of the down situations is, you know, you might be in a country that might be at war or having some issues with their uh, political presence. Uh, give us uh, an example of like one of the times where, you know, you were pretty much scared for your life because you were in a country that had some issues. You had well, to- I was. Well, uh, a couple years back, I was in Libya with the war with Gaddafi. So it was a crazy situation. I'm going to break this down real quick. So I was playing with uh, Club Itihad there, you know. And uh, I ended up going to another team that calls this water. So we had practice. We had a practice in the morning. The coach said, uh, we have another practice in the evening. So I was on my way to the gym. And it was around six o'clock, me and my teammate, Muhammad Tungara, and the doors was locked. And I called my coach, I said, coach, where are you? He was already in Tunisia, because he's from Tunisia. I said, well, well, you go to Tunisia. After that, we seen people start marching in the street. The shit was crazy. They cut the internet off. It was fucking crazy. So to make a long story short, we ended up paying a driver to drive us to Tunisia, and to the Tunisia took good care of us. You know, got us to safety and, uh, you know, gave us food and everything. Uh, took us to a hotel and I ended up buying my flight home. I was supposed to go play somewhere else. But I was like, no, nah, fuck that. I want to go home. And another thing, just to, just to keep just to keep in mind, Libya, when I was in Libya, you know, I had never had any problems. The people was very respectful. It's good people in Libya. You know, it just was, a, you know, a government problem, you know. But the people there, great people. I still have friends there to this day. Because you was on the news and everything, right? Yeah, it was crazy. As soon as I reached the airport in America, they was there. Wow. Um, so speaking of that, you got home. You're gone for, what, seven, eight months a year, right? More than half a year when the season starts. How do you or how does a overseas professional basketball player yourself and give us an idea of a stereotypical how do you recalibrate yourself when you get back to the to the shy in your situation or to the states 
Well, like I said, I'm a different type of guy. It's easy for me. As soon as I get back, I transition. Mm-hmm. You know, I know how to set my mind. You know, sometimes after about two months at home, I'll be ready to go back. So you don't get, you don't get post-traumatic syndrome from... Uh, I got time for that. I'm gone. <laughs> you up. You, like, come here like it's a vacation back and you bounce. I'm out. Right now, um, last year, how old are you right now? I'm 33. 33. So last year, what were you averaging in the league? Okay, so last year, I'm going to break this down quick too. Last year, I was in Togo playing with my national team in a FIBA uh, three-on-three. Uh, it's my first time doing that. It was, it was exciting. It was fun. So I ended up signing with a team in uh, Seychelles. You know, they wanted to qualify for the African Club Championship, which is called the Ball League, NBA Africa League. And I played there, and I was the leading scorer. I was the best scorer of the Zone 7. I was the best scorer. I averaged 27 points a game. And we, we didn't make it. We was like one game away. We didn't make it. But I ended up staying with the team there. We won a championship, and I averaged 29 points a game there. And, uh, after, I mean, after that, uh, my agent – uh, he solidified things for me this year, you know, cause I don't know, we don't have that much time this year. I ended up signing with the team in Senegal, AS Doyen for the NBA Africa league, but things now. Take us, yeah. Take us through that. Obviously with the pandemic and with uh, COVID-19, like changing the world as we know it. Um, this is actually the second situation where you were um, pretty close to at least getting you know, people like us that want to see you, see what you can do. Because I think you can do really well because I've watched the NBA. I've been working in the NBA, as you had mentioned, since the year 2000, which is 20-plus years. And I've seen bums that shouldn't be in the league. I'm like, man, I'd be thinking, like, man, Jimmy would do this. Jimmy would do that. I know you could care less, but, you, you know, you were you had a, issue, a situation with uh, – Austin Toros that you would have got through, which was a San Antonio Spurs uh, G League situation. There was like a fucking tornado or fucking hurricane that happened that stopped that. And then explain what happened when you uh, you you flew out to Senegal, the NBA's inaugural season for NBA Africa. Yes. I don't know how the NBA is when they put their name behind something. They're yeah. going to promote the hell out of it. But explain that situation. So it was the top 12 teams in Africa. It was going to be like a EuroLeague style. You travel to each team home and away. It was going to be big time. But uh, So I was there practicing with the club. I was playing for a very good coach, one of the best coaches in Africa. Uh, it was a great situation. But as soon as I got there, after like three practices or three or four days, they postponed the season because of the coronavirus. And the team, they said, no, they still wanted me to stay there. Because we still had access to gyms and everything. They say you could just train here until it opens back up. But after another week, they closed the gyms down. So I was there and I was stuck there. So I was stuck there for maybe two weeks, something, two and a half weeks until they got me an emergency flight back to, uh, back to America. Explain, like, what was the living conditions like when you be up? Oh, see, I was comfortable there. My mom was my mom, my family, they was like bugging me. You need to get home, but I had a nice apartment. I had a two-bedroom apartment. Uh they took care of everything. They gave me they paid for my food. They made sure I was straight. I had a beach by my place, so I was fine. 
He was good. He was just like waiting it out. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right. So let's talk about your future and your ultimate goals moving forward. Well, my ultimate goals is, you know, the same like before. Like now I want to start building my brand. I want to, uh, you know, just keep building my name in Africa. So that's why I plan this NBA Africa League is, is big. But right now, my agent, I have uh, some other deals on the table too that's coming about right now during the pandemic. So teams are just trying to get in contact now. But, you know, my first, my first option is going to be the NBA Africa League. And uh, after that, you know, everything else take this. But I'm gonna be playing. I'm gonna be working all year round for sure. Nonstop. All right, man. That was a great interview. I uh, appreciate you joining us. This is a like a cross promotion EC Sports situation, but we're gonna get this out. Uh, everybody share. Uh, hopefully, everybody overseas sees it. Hopefully, it's something educational for younger kids. You already been um, talking to different schools and everything. I just wanted to do this so uh, people can get an idea of how it's just a different different life out there than just the NBA. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, for Jimmy Williams, professional overseas basketball player, this is Deion Williams, EC Sports. Thank you all.